Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the aggregators and uh, and brands uh, show. And uh, today I'm again together with my co-host uh, Omar, and uh, hey, we have yeah, we have Patrick, yeah, who is uh, who is our guest. Uh, and wow. uh, thank you very much, Patrick, for for joining our podcast. Thank oh, you, Patrick. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. And Patrick, the way I should maybe pronounce your last name is Mai Oho. Yes. Oh, perfect. Well done. Mai Oho. It's the, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I guess, you know, maybe we can start from there. Welcome to the, uh, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> like, wh where is the last name coming from? Uh, last name is Hawaiian. So, right. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's it. That's, uh, that's something I've seen very rarely uh, around, around here, the podcast, actually. Yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, my my, uh, my dad was born and raised in Hawaii. And so all of my dad's side of the family is still in the islands. And then uh, he came to Michigan uh, to go to college and met my mom and, and we just settled here. So uh, I frequently get to go back, uh, but I don't uh, I don't really live there right now. I still live in West Michigan with my family. So Yeah, it's a it's well, a great place. Place. I mean, I was. Um... I was in an executive MBA in the Ross uh, Business School in the Michigan uh, University, oh, yeah. and I was—I don't know how 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 far it is uh, from you, but that was a great time. I can I can say that I had a lot of great friends. Oh yeah. Well, Mi Michigan, yes, Michigan and Hawaii is 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 quite a stretch, right? It's uh, oh, yeah. and it's quite <laughs> a it's like Very it's like I, I, when, when I hear Michigan is like snow and when Hawaii is uh, you know beach time and you know yeah. flip flops and all that stuff, right? Oh yeah, it is. It's totally totally different. We have seasons here in Michigan, and it's just one season called Paradise in Hawaii. So it's uh, <laughs> it's a different it's a different uh, it's a it's a different. Uh, different way to grow up i think being hawaiian and and uh and living in michigan but it, but i wouldn't change it you know it's it's led me to where i am okay so wow okay yeah, great, that's, great. That's great. yeah great to hear and patrick is uh is an amazon seller uh he owns a couple of brands uh and he's also an eva customer we are proud of that too uh and uh, he also coaches like the amazon sellers uh, specifically he knows a lot about supply chain uh, and uh, you know we'll we'll just go into into deeper into that. So uh, Patrick, maybe you tell us about your your story first, like you know how you ended up like uh, being on Amazon. Sure, actually, it's a funny story. Um, around 2013, I was traveling overseas, and on my way back from uh, Vietnam, I had a layover in Hong Kong, and then a flight from Hong Kong to San Francisco, I believe it was. And I met some guys uh, on the flight. Uh, they had been on a like a mastermind trip to visit suppliers in, in Hong Kong. And it was guys that had started a, uh, I'm sure everybody knows who they are. They started a very famous like Amazon uh, selling program. And uh, I joined, I joined uh, that, that following uh, 2014. But the funny thing was like, I had never seen anything on the internet about it you know i'd never seen anything about like amazing or anybody like that uh before i would met the guys on the plane and, and they showed me what they were doing i was like geez oh pete i think i can do this this is kind of cool from a source side you know just being able to go out and get products and then uh um so i started that brand in 2014 my wife and i did and then we started another brand in 2017 
And all of this while I was working for other companies, I've, I've been um, working in the corporate world here. You know, I spent the first 20 years in sales, last 20 years in, or 15 years in, in uh, strategic sourcing and supply chain. So I went out on my own last year and really started focusing on helping Amazon sellers. As I was going to like the different events and talking to different people and, and joining different groups, I found that, you know, the biggest headache for everybody after they get to a, a pretty good, consistent, um, consistent sales, like, you know, they get to that 1 million point. They always, the common theme is they would struggle from 1 million to 10 million, or they would struggle after that 1 million um, because it, then it became work. It, like the dream of just one person on their computer at home and they're flipping stuff and they made all this just, money. Just a dream. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, it's a great dream. I'm not, I'm not knocking it, but when you want to become a, like a real business though, you have to start implementing real strategies. And, you know, so you start getting into your financials, you start getting into, you know, what are you going to do for marketing and sales? Well, most people have done the marketing and sales because all those courses or courses, they teach you the marketing and the sales and the advertising and optimization. And most of the courses refer to like Alibaba and Alibaba has made it very, very easy to start a business on Amazon or online, uh, especially for private labeling, which most of us, I think, as sellers that came from like when I started, that's what we did. Um, but really to, to really become uh, a smart business and a business that's really going to grow, it's not just growing sales, it's really growing your skill set of sourcing understanding your supply chain, understanding the cost, understanding your product to the point that those savings, a one or two point margin, depending on how much you're selling, can be tens of thousands of dollars in your pocket. So um, I've had uh, a few people that I started working with last year and it just kind of uh, snowballed into this um, nice little business of coaching people. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not meant to be in there and work for somebody. I'm not meant to work you know, six months and just keep charging monthly. It's a project where, you know, you look at a business and you say, hey, I see what you're doing here. Okay, you're getting everything off Alibaba and teaching um, these businesses to create teams that can actually help their business on the back end, especially with sourcing and supply chain, which for most of us ends up being our biggest cost. Teaching them how to operate that business effectively so that it'll allow them to grow and implementing lots of different strategies lots of different process it's very process oriented you know i think we were talking earlier it's boring i mean it, it is not sexy it is it's not as fun as like writing copy or doing the marketing or, or getting the sales you know you can't you can't open up your spreadsheet like you can your seller central app and see all these sales you know um it takes time uh it, it takes you know a lot of research but those are things at the end of the day that that you can control and can actually end up making a lot of money in the long run. Well, definitely. Uh, I think when you um, like what you just mentioned, you know, it's it's very interesting because you you say on the long on the long run, and when then then I just you know realize it's true what you're actually saying because when you optimize a listing or uh, when you have data uh, uh, like Evaguru, you you actually can see the data, you can see the changes like in 24 hours, you know. Although maybe it's not make you rich uh, in that time frame, but you can actually see changes, and you know 
where to switch, where to switch and where to, where to do a bit more, or is this keyword indexed, or does this keyword make sense in the listing? Ah, what we have here with PPC. But when we look at the supply chain, it's like it's like a chain reaction, you know? Um, actually, funny that the name is supply chain, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a chain reaction. If you do one thing good, the next thing will good. If you do the next thing good, the other thing will good. So mm -hmm. and, and maybe don't give in, go faster. And you know, this is uh, definitely some, I, I really like the, the, the comparison here because then I was, because I was thinking like, it's, it's something nice, actually. I don't, I don't think that it's boring. I think it's something super interesting. Like, like it is, uh, um, you can, you can, you can as well, like optimize it. Maybe you cannot see it immediately, but you can as well optimize. And this is the funny thing that the, and the interesting thing here as well. And that's why I don't think it's boring because at the end of the day, when you see the numbers, um actually no no it's uh, it's actually uh, something really really nice because you change actually things um and when you did it once then you know how to do it again and you can follow the pattern actually so uh, really uh, thank you that was a, a very good very good point you made here what do you think hi it's uh it's uh, pretty well said right yeah for the last six months i'm working on something and in the beginning i thought it's an easy thing what i wanted to do was like we have this three PL warehouses in US. And as soon as like we scan an item, my idea was like, why don't we show it on the EVA platform that, because we are already able to show on the EVA platform, what is available on Amazon, what is in transit and what is inbound to Amazon, which is important information. But what about if we can add what is like in receive process in the three PL, what is in stock, and what is like shipping to Amazon. Okay, so that was an idea. First of all, I look at every place and I haven't seen that. And I was like, wow, it's a great thing to give it to the Amazon seller, like the 3PL visibility. And I thought it's an easy thing, right? It's software, there is data, you put the data in the software, it works. Now it took me like five months it's not, <laughs> I mean, again, I'm not saying it's boring or exciting, but it's also not that easy in a way because you are like, for example, mapping the ASIN and the SKU, which are different already in a way. And then you have the product. Now the product needs to be mapped in the right way. It's not that easy because you have variations of the product, which is the same product uh, yes. in a way. But on, on Amazon side, it's a ch parent child. And if you cannot map it in the right way, then whatever you show on the 3PL may not make sense for the Amazon seller. We kind of like come to the point that it works now and it's amazing, but I'm just dreaming. What if like you have the full visibility till China, like even the consolidation in China into one container, great opportunity. Finding the right freight forwarding and the route, great opportunity. Even finding the best uh, warehouse and best port versus like just doing the same thing as everybody else is doing might save you another few percent. So I fully wow, agree with is, Patrick. That's that, futuristic. Uh, exactly. Yeah. There's like, I fully agree with Patrick. A lot of people ignore this and try to go mainstream. Okay. Like I import from China and then it you know from to la and then i got it but there is a lot of ways of saving money so patrick we are here we are happy to hear a few <laughs> tips, tips from you like what's your experience how can maybe a few tips for the amazon sellers what should they do 
So the first thing I want to say is everybody wants to save money. And I totally understand that because we're all in this business to make money. But, you know, not to go down the rabbit hole, but I'm a big time and money as well. I mean, you know, I'm actually just working with a client right now. And I asked him if I could tell the story. and He said it was fine. Uh, so the, the goal was that I'm coaching this, this company and they do some uh, consumer products. And, you know, they wanted to try to get, you know, three to 5% savings. And we kind of, we, we over, uh, we went over that and we got to a, a really good number, but the problem was, uh, you know, we wanted to be in, in front of the line because they're, they're a smaller player in the market. Uh, they don't have, you know, a lot of the resources of some of the other companies do in comparison. So we ended up striking a deal where they would move us up into the front of the line they would give us terms, but they would only, they, we would sacrifice some of the discount. And the reason why we did that was, let's say 7% was a discount that we got. And then we, we basically agreed on a 4% discount, but we got in front of the line by about three weeks, plus they were gonna give us terms. And we did a, a what we call the tiered term system. So January through June, we'll pay like 50% down, and then pay the other 50% when it lands in the US port, okay? But during holiday season, where this company does about 60% of their business from October to December, during that season, they're going to extend 45 day terms after it lands and is received in the warehouse. So for them, that's saving them money because 45 days of having that cash flow so they can advertise it for you know, uh, Amazon or whatever, you know, is huge. So and the whole point of the story was not to make it more confusing. It's basically, it's an analogy of saying, like, what is your priority? Like, what is your prime value um, as a seller? Is it, you know, making sure you're always stocked? Is it having cash free at, um, at holiday season? Like the first thing I tell everybody when I coach is, you know, what are your priorities? What are your objectives? I mean, everybody wants to save money, throw that one out the window because everybody has that in the back of their mind. But realistically, what do you have to do to accomplish your goals? And if, if 60% of your business is done between you know, October and December because of the holiday season, then you need to adjust accordingly to make that your business and then grow from there. The second thing I will recommend is how well do you know your product? You think you know your product, but, uh, and I was again, talking to another friend of mine, um, Alibaba is an awesome resource. It is incredible, but it has made us incredibly lazy as buyers, um, as people who want to start because there's an ease of it. And because of that ease and that convenience, people don't do their due diligence as much as they should. And even when like they'll follow up and ask questions, that's great. But the due diligence is really like, how much do you actually know about your product? I mean, yes, you know your market, you know your customer, awesome. You know what your product's made of, you know how it's processed, you know how many different suppliers are involved because these guys that are selling it, um, they're not producing everything in house. They're acquiring, like if you're doing a Bluetooth speaker, that's easiest one to think of. They're acquiring the wire loom from somebody else. They're acquiring um, the chips from somebody else, the circuit board from somebody else. They might be doing the plastic injection mold for like the cover of the speaker. They're assembling it in. 
Like, do you know that process? And that's what you really need to, to figure out before you start on a strategic sourcing level. You really have to know your product. Like that's the number one thing. And that's where it can get a little boring. But once you know that and you are talking on the same level as your supplier or near the same level as your supplier, you will get a lot farther, a lot faster from there by doing all that work on the front end. Well, that's very uh, nice. good, very, very good reply. Um, because let me just pick up quickly there where, where you have stopped uh, in order what you just said about the product. Because um, knowing the product, um, for example, uh, is very, very important. Afterwards comes knowing your customer, and especially now we let's jump let's jump overseas and begin to see as well when the containers arrive in Europe and everything. So when you go overseas, then you need to know your customer. Not only knowing your customer, like in 2010, we knew our customer was like, you know, just throw it in Alibaba and that's it. You know, they pick it up and you know whatever. Knowing customer, knowing product, just sell. Right now we need to know our product a hundred percent. And we need to know our customer 100%. Because if you sell on the upper end, then we're going to have, it's too vague. So mm -hmm. we have to filter it, filter him down, you know, and this we can only understand with the culture. And I'm sure you you you, you agree with that because uh, uh, you both, I think you sell internationally. I, I don't recall if you if you mentioned or not. No, no, I don't sell internationally. Okay. I source internationally. Okay. You source, so you have as well, so you understand that, for example, a supplier, uh, in China or in India um, will react differently to, yes. to your requests than uh, an American or, uh, or European or even within the countries. So I think um, now with the globalization, we have really to, to, to be uh, not only one or two hats, we have to have like a thousand hats on to, to understand this, this, this whole project because we, we cannot just uh, take and hire from everywhere. We, we, now we are lucky now, myself and Hai, you know we're uh, traveling a lot we see we see a lot but there's others which don't so they have to understand all of this through reading and you know and there i see some mistakes coming through when um when when buyers go and buy or when they sell to the customer is it the right customer or uh is it um is it working or not or where where is the mistake where can we tweak here so this is just uh, i just uh, uh, i think I did it a little bit longer, I pro prolonged the um, your what you just said, but um, in the whole globalization process, I think this is really uh, really important, and um, you should not be missed. I mean, should not be taken uh, easily. Let's say it this way. Yeah, no, it's very well said. Very well said, actually. You know, and, and I, I look at it too. Um, you know, we we start talking culturally. Uh, how a supplier is in China and how you contact them and deal with them is different than what you're going to do with a, a, a supplier in Mexico or a supplier in even like Vietnam, it's Asia alone in itself. Yeah. They, they all have like their, their different cultural norms, you know, um, and, and you're, and people are not going to know that without traveling there. So the, that's why knowing your product, your product becomes like your universal anchor point. And if that becomes your focal point, then, you, you'll be able to pick up enough nuance from emailing back and forth about the product so that when you go to negotiate, you have enough confidence and you understand sort of the cadence of how somebody's speaking to you um, to, make, to make those approaches. 
So that's why, you know, that's another reason. I mean, it's, it's more uh, uh, ambiguous, but that's so important to know your product because it is your anchor point. Like that's the common language you and your supplier get to speak. So if you both know a lot about your product, the more you're actually going to have in common and the, the more you're going to be able to uh, learn about each other and start to understand each other, even over Zoom or, you know, over email, you, you will start to pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. There is one thing. I mean, I really like this. Like, and also, even from every single podcast, you get one or two things here, right? Yes. And what I got from uh, what, like, Patrick is like, number one, like, know your priorities. Number two, know your product. Now, let's not forget, this was about aggregators, too. I'm just gonna, you know, give an idea about like, one of the things that most of the aggregators don't do, they acquire a brand, uh, the owner leaves after a, a month or two, or maybe as soon as like the acquisition is complete. Now they think I have this product X, but they don't know exactly the history and the way that product X is developed and, and what is missing. Because if you don't know your product, also you cannot uh, you know, let that evolve, right? Like you cannot build a second version, third version. So it's also about the future, not only about the the sourcing part, but also the future of the product. And yes. these two things are, I have to say, I mean, I have to confess based on my experience as, as we work with a lot of aggregators, it's missing. It's a missing component. Like um, they try to focus on operation, but forget about, why this product is built and how and for whom coming to your point uh, uh omar about the know your customer thing like and and that's kind of an for aggregators i think maybe maybe that's the the biggest weakness uh just because they uh, don't have that memory of the product and the the whole thing you know like the whole history the ingredients the process the the kind of experience with different manufacturers is kind of missing. So I really like that, uh, Patrick. So one question to you now, you, we, you mentioned that you are, and I mentioned as well, that you are coaching uh, Amazon sellers. Uh, and, um, and how do they find you or how, do, how um, what's the process here? Like, I mean, what, what's the best way like to reach out to you and, uh, is it more around the supply chain or you kind of do an A to Z like coaching and all different matters on Amazon? So that's a great question. Uh, I will let everybody know I'm not here to pitch a website because I don't have a website. Uh, everything I've done um, since I started the coaching has been word of mouth and been by referral. Um, just being able to help people and them being happy with what has happened has said, Oh, I know somebody that could use your help or, Hey, would you like to come speak here? And I'll meet somebody like when I speak at an event. Um, to me, obviously it's, it's more organic that way. Uh, you know, I've, I've actually just on a side note, I've actually thought about like, Oh, I'll put up a website and I'll do some videos. I'll have my pitch on there. But you know, when you talk about operations and stuff, I mean, every business is different. Every business is different is because every business owner is different. And um, it's, it's hard to really connect with somebody just on a website pitch. So my LinkedIn um, is always uh, available. You can find me on LinkedIn. I do, I do reply through there. Um, you know, people are always welcome to email me. 
Um, and, I, and, I, and I reply, but it's, it's really all of it has been referral and, and word of mouth um, and being able to just demonstrate what I do. That's, that's what my business is, is right now. It's, it's very, very, it is very, very personal. Okay. Uh, there comes the next question for you as well. Um, concerning the product, um, because you're still a seller, uh, you enjoy selling. Um, it's your passion, uh, I guess. Uh, um, not only I guess, I'm sure. <laughs> so um, having, uh, having a product actually is, uh, it's, it's like having, you know, you, you build it up and everything, and then you might have it in order to sell it. Do you actually plan to, uh, to, to, to exit one of your brands uh, or have you ever thought about it because this aggregator with brands podcast. So we, we want to know if it's, uh, if there is any possibility for you at some point to sell your brands, or do you think there is so much potential that you are able to really um, go over the moon? And then at some point you, you just, uh, you try one, maybe you try the second one um, or even migrate into Europe. What is, what is your plan with, with, with these brands? Great question. So, um it's funny i i've said this for years from a sourcing standpoint um when i've helped other companies and other companies work i've worked for you know we work for big corporations they launch these products and you have product developers and they fall in love with their product and i would always say like don't fall in love with your product like that's the worst thing you can do and i was actually listening to ben weber who is a friend of mine talked to melissa simonson on your podcast that just came out a couple weeks ago or a couple of days ago, actually, I think on the 19th. So maybe yesterday, I think it was released right. yesterday. Yes, yesterday. Anyways, he was kind of saying the same thing. Like, don't fall in love with your stuff. Um, I, I I fall victim to that though, too. Like this first brand is, is still like my baby. Like it's the one that my wife and I started. It's sentimental. We don't make as much money as we used to. And I just say, you know what? Someday we're just going to put some more money into it and make it go. And right now, like, everything's always possible um but definitely i haven't really i'm i'm the biggest i'm i'm going against what i'm telling everybody to do right now at least as for that brand it kind of runs itself i've become very lazy on it i don't have a priority for it even though that's what i tell everybody i'll be the first to admit it's hard to do um you know and it's uh it's as a coach sometimes it's easier to help other people and get them to be successful than to do it yourself. A really good friend of mine is a builder. And he once said to me, he goes, man, like building my own house took me longer than it did to build four other people's houses, you know? So when you work on your own stuff, unless you're doing that like full time, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to do. Uh, for me, I, I've always enjoyed the sourcing because I love being around people and I love building teams and I love being in front of suppliers and I, love going into new countries and scouting like scouting is like my favorite part of the strategic sourcing is going in and learning about the culture and figuring out like how to adapt and, and how to connect with people and um that's where my passion lies so you know i would consider you know either growing or selling the brand right now i think it's 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 not something i thought about but it's something i, I would consider in the future okay Absolutely, That's yeah. So, by the way, I'm amazing. I'm looking for a reason to go to to travel to Vietnam. So, Patrick, if there is a <laughs> there is a reason, we should 
I think it's one of the fascinating places in the world uh and i'm assuming patrick went there a few times at least oh, you know. i've been go i've been going to ho chi minh city vietnam since 2013. so i still have oh, one okay. employee that works for me there and all uh, right and i i pulled a lot of i pulled a lot of product and made a lot of friends uh suppliers and and, and networked very well especially in southern vietnam in the Ho Chi Minh City area. That's where a lot of my base of operations has been over the years. I pulled some stuff out of Haiphong and and uh and um Hanoi, but a lot of it has been, you know, from from the Ho Chi Minh City area. It's a, it's an awesome area. Like I tell everybody if you can uh just go from a cultural experience alone. Um the people are phenomenal. Uh they remind me of being in Hawaii just because they're so generous. They're such gracious hosts. Um you know it's a different from a cultural standpoint it's it, for them like if you go see a supplier it's business first like let's get the business out of the way and then we'll go enjoy our time together you know well, that's it very nice be, go ahead so sorry about that hi uh what's your main different point i mean from your point of view between china and vietnam it's unbelievable something... i i had exactly the same question like uh, oh, omar and i are becoming pretty much like i, I had exactly the same question <laughs> Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> so, are, just so I can, I want to ask a clarifying question. Then, are you asking culturally or like from just straight how business is done? Business from okay. business type. So, China, first of all, their biggest advantage, not just against Vietnam, but for anybody in the world, their biggest advantage is they have the infrastructure and they have a they they network like no other culture i've ever seen like we in americans think we're really good at networking you know and and we have a, a a fantastic infrastructure too but china has taken it to a totally new level and i think you know when people start looking at mexico or other countries the the biggest obstacle or the biggest hurdle is going to be overcoming the infrastructure because my first time in china years ago you know uh, we were there we were looking at a product and the engineer I was with, my buddy, said, hey, you know, what if we do this? Can you do this? The supplier said, give me one second. Lit a cigarette, got on the phone. Like five minutes later, he goes, all right, I'll take you to the guy that can do it. And you know, that's what they have. Like they have this unbelievable network. So Vietnam and other surrounding countries, like they don't have that same infrastructure from a network point of view. So your, your time to get something done is going to be a little bit longer. Um, you know, when I first started working in Vietnam, I would get a little frustrated because I'm like, wow, this is going really slow. It's going really slow because, you know, a lot of those business owners don't have five or six other guys, you know, in their network that they can call to help out on something. They have to go and they have to start, you know, scouting out suppliers and vetting guys. Um, the other, the other advantage that China has is they are investing a lot in other countries already. Um, you know, when if you go to Vietnam now, you will see quite a few, um, you know, China, Korean, Japanese-owned businesses. Uh, even if you go into Bangladesh, you're going to see, you know, a lot of Chinese factories. I mean, they've made an investment not only in their country, but they play the long game. So if you've read any books about like China, my buddy Steve Simonson and I, we always talk about this book called Poorly Made in China and they play the long game like that book is very good at explaining what they do and those guys uh, as far as a culture and those businessmen 
they saw a long time ago, like they can't just do it. Like their middle class is going to grow. We need to go to these other countries and start investing because labor still is like the number one commodity on the planet. I mean, labor drives the majority of our costs, right? So uh, they had a lot of foresight. So even when I first went there years ago, they were already there. You know, a lot of other countries were already there. Culturally, and I hope I don't make your question way too long, but from a cultural standpoint, um, the Vietnam uh, people, again, like I said, are, are very generous, as are the Chinese people. But there's a there's a more of a quietness and a humility about them uh, in doing stuff. Where in China, you know, they're very direct and it's it's very brash and you know, um, they, you can sit around a table and, and smoke for three hours without saying a word. And, you know, that's part of the business deal. Where in, in Vietnam, they really, they want to do a good job. And they want to know, um, like right now, like, what do I need to do? Like, what are the things? And so it's not, not neither are, are better or worse. It's just like an adjustment of how I can talk to a supplier in China and be more direct with him and just knowing that I can say a few things and, and he already knows what to do. We're in Vietnam, I have to become more of a teacher because they don't have as much experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. It's just funny because the two countries are just neighbors, you know? So look at the, at the difference, you know? Yeah, oh yeah. But even, even, even uh, provincially in the different provinces in China, you know, you're gonna have those same cultural differences too. Just like in the United States, you know, the South sure. is different than Hawaii, which is different than the Northeast, so. You know, just being able to and do. and Omar, you live in you live pretty much also in Europe as well. I mean, in Europe, yes. like if you go like uh, five miles from one city to another, the culture changes. You know, that's the that's <laughs> is that just, is, yes, yes. It's not like five miles, but you know, you can have like in know, five miles, uh, you have five enemy yeah. tribes, uh, and they speak yeah, a different it's, it's, language. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The the best example is Gibraltar. You know, you cross the border by foot. You go from one city into the other. And you're in England, you understand, you're in the UK. <laughs> so, and you just go back and you're you're again in Spain and it's 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 sees in the car, you can see it in the cars, you can see it in the language, you can see it in the people. It's uh, it's it's true, it's true, yeah. I can just confirm that. But <laughs> I liked, uh, you know, it's very insightful, like what uh, the what Patrick mentioned about Vietnam and, and China, I think that will help as well. And that's also giving me the idea, it's not like, to have a coach uh, like Patrick, uh, it makes a lot of sense because, uh, I mean, the, if I'm the Amazon seller, I should focus on my product, know my product, but at the same time, I mean, all the supply chain uh, issues, sourcing issues, um, it's not that easy. Like It's like, you know, getting help from you, you uh, Omar, about localization seo support it's about getting support for like reimbursements dynamic pricing uh mm -hmm. on from eva there has to be like i mean it makes a lot of sense to work with the experts because it will take years to understand even the difference between um one china province culture versus vietnam and the other province so that makes a lot of sense to to work with more people to try to you know kind of sort it out right so um sorry sorry and most of the time you don't even have the time for this right now you don't have the time anymore to find out who is better who is worse because in that time frame that you think about that uh, a chinese seller might have come and just snatch away your whole your whole customer's right. ba base you know 
So it's uh, it's they have much more power, much more money. So the smaller shops now cannot cannot survive in that environment. So uh, thank you. That uh, was a very good point. Hi. Absolutely. Maybe a last question. Uh, but what would be a um, kind of like what type of a product or products that will be uh, much better to source from Vietnam? Now it's more kind of not a business. It's more a product. Uh, question or depends on of, of course like i don't know what is produced in vietnam or manufactured in vietnam which might be a differentiated value compared to maybe china sure so right now i think uh textiles uh so cutting and sewing is still you know really big in in vietnam and that's a good source for it uh, from a labor standpoint um aluminum so if you're doing any kind of aluminum product, whether it's stamping, whether it's um, uh, a die cast aluminum or extruded aluminum product, um, you know, Vietnam is getting better at doing what I call uh, daisy chaining to where you can go to one supplier and they can get all the other components and do the assembly in-house so you can have a completed product. You know, Vietnam for a long time wasn't sort of like a, a ready for retail producer of, of items you know when i was in my furniture company um, we pulled a lot of aluminum out of there or a lot of furniture components out of there um, a lot of wood like so if you want wood products um you know they have a great resource for bamboo bamboo is a, a fantastic uh, natural resource so you know when they when they and the rubber wood as well so the rubber wood uh, is plentiful in vietnam and after it goes through its lifetime, it hardens really nice and it makes beautiful furniture. So you'll see a lot of, uh, if, if you see like a, a dining room table and it's made in Vietnam, uh, eight times out of 10, 80% of the chance it's gonna be, you know, this rubber wood. Um, so those are things that I would pull out of Vietnam right away that you can easily source. Uh, I know there are, again, um, Chinese owned companies that are now bringing sort of like their network of resources down there uh, into Vietnam right now. So, and I don't, I don't uh, dissuade anybody from from working with either the local factories or the foreign factories. Just understand, like when you go to work with them, you're going to be working with them differently, though. Okay. I mean, sounds great. I mean, a lot of great information. So thank you very much, uh, Patrick, for uh, being our guest. Uh, oh, and uh, yeah, I mean, thanks. Uh, thank you. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, working together in the future as well. Likewise, likewise. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. And it's great to be able to sit here and talk to both of you. Obviously, I got a little long winded, but uh, I appreciate patience. Thank you. Great.